Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C., on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. I follow Elizabeth Lopato on Twitter, so I noticed when she tweeted about a naked banana. One of the things that I have discovered um, with internet trials, there are these moments where something that makes perfect sense in the context of online is brought into a courtroom and you have to explain it to a judge. In this case, the judge is presiding over the trial between Apple and Epic Games, which wrapped up closing arguments this week. And Liz, who is the deputy editor of The Verge, has been covering it. Watching lawyers argue about things like banana attire. There were these moments where, like, they were having this discussion about, like, Agent Peely, which is a humanoid banana, and whether or not a humanoid banana needed to to wear clothes in court that was just like, I can't, what are we doing? What are we doing with ourselves right now, guys? Like, <laughs> what? Agent Peely is a character in Fortnite, the most popular video game in the world. And he and his pants ended up in federal court because Epic Games, which makes Fortnite, is suing Apple, accusing it of violating antitrust laws. One example, you can buy Agent Peely little outfits in the Fortnite app, but Apple takes a 30% cut of that sale, like they do with all sales in the App Store. And that cut is what Epic says is an abuse of power, one that costs them and other developers a lot of money. And if you're going to be making this enormous amount of money, do you really want Apple taking a 30% cut of all of it? Today on the show, Apple versus Epic. As we await a verdict, Liz breaks down the lawsuit that could decide the future of the app economy. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us.
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Epic Games, the company that's suing Apple, makes a lot of games, but they're really known for Fortnite. And Fortnite is more than just a video game. It's a phenomenon, a universe unto itself, a place where friends can not only compete in some battle, but also just spend all of their time hanging out. Which means your Fortnite character, well, the way he or she dresses and looks, matters a lot. Before we get into the lawsuit, I think it might be helpful to explain in-app purchasing. So let's say you're playing Fortnite, you get to be a character in this post-apocalyptic world. The game is free, but inside the game you can buy all of this stuff. Costumes, updates, those kind of things. And I was amazed by how much money Epic Games, which makes Fortnite, makes from this stuff. Can you explain how lucrative in-app purchasing is? Um, It is insanely lucrative. So, like, the thing you want to keep in mind here is that when you think about most entertainment products, whether that's, like, a movie or a TV show or whatever, um, you're only buying it once, right? But if you're doing in-app purchases in video games you can just keep selling to people sort of indefinitely. And we saw this rise of this model when Farmville took off on Facebook. We had Candy Crush. All of these things were like you could like pay money to have extra lives or like pay money to like regenerate your Pokeballs faster or whatever it was. And Fortnite is doing this in a way that I think is less scuzzy than uh, some other in-app purchases. It's just different like things you can make your character look like. You can change your character's appearance um, rather than having anything that would like make a difference in the game. Um, hmm. But because it's such a big hangout space, your appearance becomes pretty important because that's where you're, you are with your buddies, especially if you're like a teenager. So we know that in 2019, Epic Games had revenue of $4.2 billion with a B. Wow. Fortnite is their biggest thing, and they're giving it away for free. That tells you something about the scale of in-app purchases. You can play Fortnite on a lot of different devices, on a console, a PC, or, importantly, mobile. Epic, we should note, is also suing Google, but that case hasn't gone to court yet. And before last year, if you played Fortnite on an iPhone, you had to pay for those in-app purchases via the App Store. What was Epic's problem with the way the App Store works. It's the cut. So Apple, of every every digital transaction, Apple takes a 30% cut. And there are certain things. Um, so if you're a very small developer, they'll take a smaller cut. There are certain sort of exceptions to this rule. But by and large, it's a 30% cut. And 
that's a lot of money. And if you think about it, what is what is Apple doing to get this 30% cut? Epic thought Apple wasn't doing nearly enough to deserve that cut. So a few years ago, the company's executives hatched a plan to get the public to turn against Apple. They tried to rally other developers to their cause. And then in August of 2020, they brought out the big guns, a way to make in-app purchases in Fortnite directly. What happened specifically was in August, Epic uploaded what's called a hotfix, which is a, a thing where usually used to fix a bug, right? But their hotfix let them circumvent the App Store. <laughs> and Apple, of course, noticed and shut it down. Fortnite, the biggest game in the world, was kicked off the App Store, an outcome Epic had to have known was coming. And then the next thing that happened was Fortnite did a parody of that famous Apple 1984 commercial called 1980 Fortnite. Today, we celebrate the anniversary of the platform unification directives. And put it out in the world that very same day. We have taken our tribute, our profits, our control. So it was like, okay, you definitely thought about this first. This was a this was a thing that you planned and put together and you even have like a cute little commercial for. So like there's strategy here. And then they they brought this antitrust case. What's Apple's elevator pitch? What do they want out of this? So Apple's basic storyline throughout the entire courtroom arguments was that they need total control in order to keep their users um, safe and to ensure their privacy and, you know, avoid social engineering. And that users are specifically buying Apple devices because they know the reputation for safety. So that was like sort of prong one. And then prong two was that, you know, Apple is a really good partner to developers and they've made all of these cool tools for developers and they've invested a bunch of time and energy and IP into making this marketplace a really good place for developers. So did they sell that vision in court? They were pretty consistent about it. Um, they, you know, privacy and security and privacy and security. I mean, it's not really a surprise that Apple's really good at selling a storyline. Like, that's just like what they do. Um, and they mostly were great at it. There was sort of one big exception, and that big exception was Tim Cook's testimony. Sort of an enormous exception, actually, because that's your CEO. In that moment, the judge, Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers, asked Cook direct questions. She can do that because this is a bench trial, not a jury trial. She got Cook to admit that the majority of the revenue on the App Store comes from in-app purchases on games. And then she asked him why Apple didn't just let people use other ways to make payment in-app purchases. And Tim Cook didn't talk about privacy. He didn't talk about security. He basically said it would cost Apple money. And he says, oh, well, you know, if we allowed people to link out like that, we would, in essence, give up our total return on our IP. And we definitely need to get a return on our IP because we have 150,000 APIs we create and maintain, you know, all these developer tools, all of that. And so basically his justification was, well, you know, we want to make a profit. <laughs> there are other ways to monetize, but we chose this one. It seemed like an amazing moment to me because Apple had been from your reporting, pretty diligent about selling that privacy and security storyline. And then their CEO just stepped on it. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> it was, uh, 
It was pretty remarkable to hear. When we come back, what else this trial revealed about Apple? Hey everybody, it's Neil I. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on and to take us inside of this trial is to to tell us why it matters kind of on two fronts, because it feels to me like from reading your coverage and from trying to watch this trial, there are multiple things happening. One is whatever happens here. But then two is we got this kind of rare look inside Apple, a company that is pretty good at presenting a shiny face to the public. So one of the things that I love uh, about the legal system is discovery, because all of these things come out that you would never otherwise see. So we were seeing like emails from Steve Jobs. We were seeing Apple execs talking about how they were falling behind on gaming in the App Store. Um, We were seeing a lot of things inside Apple. And then also like... Epic is a huge company also. Like Fortnite is the most popular video game in the world and Epic is private. So this was like, oh, hey, let's check out their profits. I've never seen this before. Right. They don't have to be open with the world about how much money they make. Right. So like really for me, like the biggest appeal was just like looking at these insider documents and then having watching people like try to explain them, because I don't know if you've ever had to like try to explain one of your emails, but even when it's relatively innocuous, you feel like an idiot. Um, And some of these were not super innocuous. One email from the late Apple CEO Steve Jobs that was discussed in court included the phrase, lock customers into our ecosystem, which sounds more like ensuring users have no choice than building a product people really want to use. There was another email about making the Apple ecosystem, quote, more sticky. Individually, these notes mostly just sound like doing business. Taken together, they show Apple throwing its weight around which is what Epic wanted to show. Epic is trying very hard to portray Apple as a monopolistic bad guy. Do you think it worked? I think yes and no. Um, One of the important things that we heard about on the last day of the trial was what the comparable market was. Because Epic was making the case that there's a duopoly, and it's the iPhone and the Android. And, you know... There's there's an antitrust interest there. And Apple is making the case, well, you know, you can get Fortnite on those two things, but also on a Nintendo Switch and an Xbox and all of these other consoles and your PC. So, like, this is actually not that big of a deal. And I think that Apple made that case pretty well um, because 
most of us own more than one device. Um, like I personally like have two computers. I have a work computer and my regular computer. I have a Nintendo Switch. I have an iPhone. And I'm not a, a, a heavy gamer, but I know plenty of gamers who have multiple consoles even. So the idea that, you know, if something is banned from the iPhone or from Android, uh, nobody can reach it. That's that doesn't seem that doesn't ring quite true to me. That said, when it comes to in-app purchases, I think there is a much narrower question where uh, Apple didn't really defend itself as well as it could have. And so I would be very surprised if we didn't see a split ruling on this where, you know, on the broader question, the judge sides with Apple uh, and on the narrower question, uh, Epic wins. I had written a little note when I was preparing to interview you that just said, always back to antitrust. (laughs) Because I feel like every conversation about these companies heads inevitably to Congress. Always. Um, And like there is this real appetite for like antitrust action, particularly after the pandemic, when a lot of places really suffered and all of these guys posted incredible profits It was really a very stark uh, illustration of how much of our lives, especially in the last year, have been mediated by these companies. I think that really highlighted to a lot of people, especially a lot of people in positions of power, exactly how big these companies have become. If you think about Epic's plan and the work they put in ahead of time to get ready for this lawsuit, attempt to turn people against Apple. To what degree do you think they succeeded in that, even if this goes on to appeal or it's a split verdict? Is there damage done to Apple's reputation? I think so, yes. Um, Certainly judging by the emails and the comments I've been getting. um, Apple is notable for having a very strong fan base um, and a very vocal fan base. And if you've written about Apple, you know this. And I got an unprecedented number of people calling Apple bad. And that was unusual. So... It was interesting to see a lot of people, including like a bunch of small developers who were emailing me throughout the trial, really take aim at Apple. And one of the other things that I think is like maybe worth noting here is that Apple can and will retaliate against you um, if you say rude things about Apple as a developer. And so for Epic to cobble together like a group of people, including, you know, Epic and Spotify and some other apps that were like, hey, what Apple's doing isn't cool. That's pretty remarkable. It's unusual for developers to speak publicly and critically about Apple. So I guess by that yardstick, they have succeeded, even if that is not the case in court. I think that's right. The way that I've been thinking about this is that this lawsuit is just all downside risk for Apple. Mm. They probably have a stronger case, but there is lots and lots of ways in which they can lose. That's, you know, public opinion, that's potential legislation, and then there's the lawsuit itself. Whereas Epic only really stands to gain here. Elizabeth Lopato, thank you very much. Thank you, Lizzie. It's been a pleasure. Elizabeth Lopato is deputy editor at The Verge. 
That is our show for today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and edited by Allison Benedict and Tori Bosch. Our executive producer is Alicia Montgomery. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and it's also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And I want to recommend you go back and listen to Wednesday's episode of What Next. It's about whether Roe versus Wade can survive as law. Mary Harris will be back in your ears on Monday. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.